Thank you. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian, and for those of you who thought you were getting Todd this morning, either you're welcome or I'm sorry. Uh, it, it is, one, it is so fun to, to see, you can just see it, the joy of Jesus beams out of will and we get to go plant this DNA uh, that, that we all treasure so dearly and, and, and you guys express so well every Sunday. Every time there's somebody new, they just say there's something different about this place. And even if they can't quite put their finger on it, as soon as they start hearing joy, they go, that's what it is. People here genuinely love Jesus and it just feels different. So thank you guys for being part of that DNA. Um, it is hard to believe this is the start of the last chapter of John, chapter 21. And John's going to, uh, in this text we're going to look at today, he's going to do all kinds of callbacks and, 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 and acknowledgments to previous stuff in, in, in the book. He's going he's to recall a bunch of stuff. And it, I, it was funny that, uh, that this would be the week and that this would be the text because April is a, uh, a month of reflection and callbacks for my wife and I. On Wednesday is going to be our 20th anniversary. Thank you. And that's it. I was just hoping to get a round of applause. I wanted to feel, <laughs> I wanted to feel good about myself. Um, the, uh, no, so, so we also, April 8th is, was the 23rd anniversary of our first date. Uh, except it wasn't a date. It is literally written on the calendar that has all of the birthdays and anniversaries and special, and special moments and everything. Uh, it is known as the anti-date. was the first time. And since you asked, let me explain why. The, uh, so I had a pack of friends. We did everything together. We played hockey together. We loved to play poker on Friday nights. We, we just, we did everything together. We joked in various iterations. We were a three-headed monster, a five-headed monster, whatever, whatever the thing was. And lo and behold, about four months earlier, uh, Janelle became part of this bigger circle and, and brought some of her friends around too, and we all started to hang out. Uh, but, the, but I love my friends to death. I still talk to a lot of them. Uh, but they had one problem. They asked girls out as soon as they showed up. So they tended not to stick around long because they were very aggressive. And so we had a lot of just guy parties and just hanging out with guys. And if you're a guy, you know what that feels like. So I finally turned to a, to a group of them one day and I said, guys, can we not ask every girl out that comes around? And like, maybe we figure some out where like they start to show interest in somebody and maybe we'll go from there. So about four months into getting to know Janelle, she calls me one day because we talk occasionally on the phone. And she says, Brian, Dave just asked me out. And if you want to troll him, his name is Dave Clark. You can find him on Facebook. <laughs> he was best man in our wedding, by the way. Uh, I, it was, it, I didn't know what to do with that. It was the Wild West. Dave broke the bro code. So I'm trying to figure out what to do with this. And, and when I, the first day I met John, one of the first conversations we ever had, we were both Angel fans. She had her Angels hat on. So I knew she was a baseball fan. Well, my friends hated baseball except for one guy, and he was going to be out of town coming up. So I asked everybody, hey, you guys want to go to an angel game? And lo and behold, only Janelle and I were interested. Um, <laughs> this, was, this was before I came to faith, uh, so I have repented for my manipulative behaviors. Uh, so we go, to this, we go to this date, and I still, not date, not date, it was the anti-date, it was not a date, and I actually wanted her to stand up here uh, so you guys could watch her reaction, because in said not date, I reminded her four or five times, this is not a date, out loud, to her face, because I was upholding the bro code. If anybody asked, I was, I was still on top of this. But throughout this date, 
as you were an observer with my, if, if, you, if you could see what was going on, aside from the fact it was the fastest baseball game ever, I still remember the game time. Pedro Martinez was pitching for the Red Sox. It was an hour and 52 minutes. Our date lasted an hour and 52 minutes. So we're like, uh, you wanna do something else? Sure, let's go over the block. Okay, so we hung, out, we hung out a little bit longer and you could see throughout this night that it wasn't just two friends hanging out. There's this story being told, but that really wasn't the story. There was another story that if you step back and you, and you observe behavior and you observed how we talked and everything, this whole thing that was happening wasn't about just two friends. There was something that was starting here. There was something understood. And that's what the text today is about. It's this great story, this beautiful story with John has all this imagery and callbacks to this great fishing expedition that these guys are gonna go on. But in the end, this story is not about the fish. What it is about is the gospel. And these guys got to live out, as, as one theologian called it, an acted parable. They get a chance to live out this parable. They we're so used to, like, it's not really about seeds. It's not really about uh, whatever, whatever all, the, all of a sudden I just had 19 parables hit me at the same time, so I'm going to stop trying to single them out. Um, but it's not about what the parable is, sort of says. It's what, it's what it alludes to. And this is one where the resurrected Jesus comes back to hang out with his guys. And it's not about the fishing expedition. It's about the gospel. So our big idea for today is we are called to fish. But in this story, we have to realize that fishing is nothing without Jesus. And there's multiple layers to that too. And we'll unpack them as, as, we, take a look at, as we take a look at this text today. Um, Really quick before we get started, just a reminder because it sets the scene. Chapter 20 ended with Jesus showing up in this upper room that was locked, shows his wounds to everybody, says, I'm back, I'm real, I'm here, and they're awestruck, or as John put it, glad. Todd said last week, a little bit of an understatement. And then they get together again, and Thomas shows up, and Thomas goes through the same experience. So these guys believe. They have seen the resurrected Jesus, and they have wrapped their heads around as much as they can, and they get he is God. They're still trying to understand some of the details and the nuances, and they're especially trying to figure out how do they fit in? What does this mean for them? But we start this story with these guys as believers, so after this, Jesus revealed himself again, which means he's going to tell more about himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which, by the way, is in Galilee. So these guys have gone back home. This was their home base. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. This is what they did. They were fishermen. They knew what to do. They're back home and they're doing something that they know what to do. And they went out that night and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So we get this first part of the story. They're doing what they've done forever, and suddenly they're getting no results, and the resurrected Jesus who told them things are going to change shows up, and all of a sudden the fishing experience is different. And you got to believe they're starting to go, 
wait a minute, something's different. And you're going to see in the story too, you got fishing, you got relationships, you got fishing, and you got relationships. So now into the relationship part. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. This is John. This is how he talks about himself. He is ecstatic. He's figured out it's Jesus. That's the dude on shore that just called to us. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Peter's sitting there. Apparently you would fish in a loincloth. And Peter's like, this is not decent to show up to talk to God, the creator of all things. So he throws his clothes on. He goes, I'm going to be wet either way. So why not just be wet in all my clothes? Throws his clothes on and takes off, ditches the other guys with this net that's super full of fish and takes off to go see Jesus because he's so excited to see him. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. And when they finally got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Hmm, fish and bread. That feels familiar. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, and they pulled this net ashore. It's full of large fish, and they figure out it's 153 of them. They laid it out. And it's not the number that matters so much, but the fact that although there were so many, the net was not torn. Not only did they not get fish until this guy spoke up and told them, they got so many fish, the net should have broken. So there is clearly a miracle that's happening in this experience. And then Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So gracious Heavenly Father, as we unpack this text and we step back and look at it, that we see what you had intended, that you are trying to help the disciples and us through understanding how John has collected this story, that we are called to fish, but we are called to fish something much more beautiful than being able to just simply be fed the nutrients to our body, we are called to help find others that you have called, that you want to be part of your kingdom. So help us to see this. Help our spirits to be enlightened. Help us to continue to just press on toward our joy in you. Amen. So this is the biggest, if we step back, this is the biggest starting point. Believers fish. Remember I said these guys truly believe and they're out fishing and the game changes. If you're a believer, you fish. When we believe, we share the gospel. It's something that's built into us. It's our experience with Jesus that we can't not help do. And so today when we talk about it, we'll unpack, we'll unpack various types and things and, and maybe some hurdles to that that we, that we personally feel like we're not quite equipped. But when we believe, we share the gospel. And just as a reminder, back in chapter 20, this is that first time Jesus showed up to the apostles. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples were glad that when they saw the Lord. And Jesus says to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me even so, I am sending you. Jesus shows up from the grave, gives them a chance to realize he is back, he is whole. This is totally different than anything they have ever experienced. 
And he says, now we got something to go do. We have a purpose. Let's go do this. Maybe he said other stuff. John, in capturing this, wanted to be real clear. Jesus is back and it is time to go. The kingdom is ready to launch. And because of this, we cast a wide net. We cast a wide net because all kinds of people need Jesus. We don't cast a wide net because we, need to, we feel this need or this burden to capture 87 people all at once or to be the lone person in the history of the world that brings other people to faith. We cast a wide net because there's people who don't look like us that maybe we wouldn't imagine we'd have a connection with. There's people we've known forever that maybe we've felt like we've kind of given up the Jesus story with. Maybe we go to places. Maybe we move. Todd said, I'm going to be, Johnny's going to be, Stephen's going to be, these guys who very likely are going to end up in a new town. I've grown up in Southern California all my life. We're going to end up in this new place with new locations and new habits and new culture with one central idea we're bringing with us, that there are people everywhere, all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds, that are just waiting for Jesus, whether they know it yet or not. So we cast a wide net looking for anybody, anybody that we could come across, we might have a chance to share the gospel with them. And to the size of what happened, Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. We're ready for anything. We're ready for the quantity. We're ready for the size. We're ready for the type. We're ready for the relationships. We're ready for the mess. We're ready for the joy. We are ready for anything that comes when God says, there's your person. Go, I've got this. I'm going to put my spirit into you and you're going to go do this. We're ready for the number of people. Maybe you never saw yourself as a small group leader and he's going to have you lead a group of people. Maybe it is the relative that you always wanted to talk to and they just keep turning down Jesus, but he says now's the time they're finally open. Something's happened in their life. I'm in charge and they are ready and now's the time. But make no mistake, we fish and we are ready for whatever that catch will look like because God is equipping us. Now, we can't talk about fishing without kind of talking a little bit about what does fishing actually look like. There's all kinds of different shapes and sizes of that too. And God can use anyone in any way at any time to help bring someone either to the gospel or to plant the seed that will eventually change their lives. And there's all kinds of different things. Now, I didn't grow up in the church, so I don't have the experience of, of what a lot of folks who did in the Protestant church. I grew up Catholic, and I will tell you, here's the summary of my Catholic experience in sharing the gospel. That was it. That right there, I just gave you the summary of what I was... It was personal, and I got a vocabulary, and it was quiet, but I was never once encouraged to go share Jesus with anybody. I also wasn't encouraged to find my joy where it would want to be shared with anybody. So I, I grew up with a vocabulary, helped me catch up pretty quickly when I was here for some basic stuff, but I had missed out on the joy part. 
So I talked to some folks about what that was like. My wife, as a middle schooler, got sent to the Brea Mall with another pack of middle schoolers to intercept people walking around the Brea Mall and give them the four spiritual laws and see if they wanted to convert adults. God can use anybody at any time in any way, but that game plan, sure, like they're, they're getting some practice. Todd has talked about it before. He got put on buses and dropped off in neighborhoods that he didn't have any connection to those people. And they went door to door and did this. Johnny Burns, I asked Johnny what it was like and Johnny said, hey, I went on the annual missions trip to a place I didn't know anybody and I got some practice, but I got this small window to be able to do stuff. And I said, hey, Johnny, does it feel like sometimes maybe some of that was made you feel better as a Christian versus, versus actually like making any headway? And he goes, at that point, probably, yeah, just kind of like I got home from it and I felt better about me and Jesus, but I don't know if I knew the right thing or was making an impact at all. Now, as I was coming to faith, I was working in Huntington Beach. We had a gorgeous office literally right on the pier. I had a window in front of where I was sitting. I could look up from my laptop, and I was looking right at the pier. So I saw lots of people fishing as well. Yellow signs to varying degrees what the yellow signs said. And people with megaphones, the megaphone pastors. A lot of them looked a lot like this guy. He looks like he's being a delight to everyone on the receiving end of this. At the core of what they're doing, they're fishing. They're trying to help people. So at the core of this, and again, God can use anybody, they are trying to do a good thing. Now, we've talked already this morning about RCC DNA. We believe that there's something in our own backyard. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew, it talks about Samaria, Judea, beyond. We believe that encapsulates right around the corner where we live and our next door neighbor and the coffee shop we go to and the movie theater we keep going to. Do people go to movies anymore? Maybe that was the worst analogy I could possibly throw throw out. But everywhere in and around our lives, we are living in an ocean right now looking for fish. And so if you guys remember all the way back to January, we did this thing for Four weeks in sermons and three weeks in this guide sharing the joy. And the hope was to help take this and encourage folks to what we believe is a healthy way to fish. And so just as a refresher, this is how we believe RCC, through the Bible, is being called to go fish. We have a story and we have a relationship with Jesus. You may not think your story is something, but God, the creator of the universe, has done work in your life and you have realized that it has changed you in some way, which means your story is good enough to share with other people. The disciples didn't fully get this when Jesus tells them, I'm sending you. They're still wrapping their head around the details, but their connection to Jesus is enough. We're prayerfully looking around. We cast that net and we cast that net with Jesus in hand and we're trying to understand where is that person? God, as I'm headed out today, who would you help me see needs you? Where's that conversation? Open up that space for me. 
and we meet people where they are. When those conversations start, we don't have a template. We don't have an immediate jump in. We don't make awful hard turns like, how you doing today? Oh, I broke my ankle. Hey, you know who else had broken ankles? Jesus, when he was on the cross. We don't, we don't do that. That wasn't planned, by the way. I apologize. That one just came out. Um, if that didn't work, I'll hear about it on tomorrow morning. I'm not even looking. Did you see that? I'm not even looking. But we meet people where they are, and we keep investing in them, even when they come to faith or they start to be interested. There's no finish line to this. The only finish line is if we go see Jesus or they go see Jesus or Jesus comes and sees us both, we keep investing in them. And we keep investing in them in the hope that they would invest in others. We're making disciples. There is no greater joy and greater gift than to help see, just like we're doing with this church plant, more people are gonna get invested in. Because Drew was here and this community invested in him, Drew got an understanding and continued to grow in his faith. He planted a church. He's doing the same thing for his folks. Now they're planting another church and Will is going to do the same thing in Placerville. This is how God wants the gospel to happen. But here's the best part. Believers catch fish. When we're fishing, we catch fish because of Jesus. And John in this story brings this to life. Sometimes it's easy to overlook this stuff, but when we really like, when we, when we have this frame of reference and we understand that it's not just about fishing, we start to see the story develop and we see how John is trying to make sure we are super clear of what the roles look like in this. The first, best, and funnest part, we get to work with Jesus to bring people to faith. You get to bring somebody on the boat with you when you're going fishing and that person happens to be the creator of the universe who knows everything about everyone and is literally as we speak holding this thing together and he's our buddy on the boat. A lot of other attempts at understanding the universe or other things of faith have gods that are distant, have gods that are vengeful, don't have gods at all to turn to. We have the one true God who wants a relationship with us and we get to be part of this in our work. And he captures this in his text, verse six, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Jesus gives them direction. Go over there, it's gonna work. But who does the work? Who's physically actually doing this? The disciples. Put ourselves in that space, us. We get to be involved in this. We get the joy and the opportunity to be involved in this and see what God is doing. How cool is that? And he goes straight from there. He talks about crazy Peter jumping in, swimming through, the, swimming through the ocean, whatever, turtles and fish and other things that are sitting in the ocean with him right now. And then he gets to verse nine and he says the same thing again. They get on land and they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus has a spread ready to go for him. Doesn't sound like he's lacking anything. But he tells them in verse 10, 
Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you have just caught. Your effort, bring that effort to the party. You get to be part of the party. How cool is that? We get to be part of this. But in being part of this, we never forget that in the end, Jesus makes it happen. Now, this whole story, reading the castronet, or they're out there fishing on their own without Jesus, and then Jesus shows up and says, try it a different way, and it works. Flashes back to John 15 when they're sitting in the upper room. Do you remember him talking about, I am the vine and you are the branches? Another John beautifully set in, like you just, they, you recall all these things Jesus said before he went to the cross that he told them, you won't get this until after. He's now giving them an opportunity, an example to see exactly that. So in John 15, 5, he told them, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit or fish. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This whole fishing expedition, this lifelong thing that when we become believers that we get to do, we can't do it without him. He didn't mince words. He made it super clear. He's fully involved. And if that wasn't enough, he doubled down in 1516 in the same discourse that he's telling these guys. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. I, the creator of the universe, tapped you to be part of this process so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Keep investing. And they find Jesus and they cling to Jesus and this just keeps going until Jesus comes back. But he is super clear. Guys, in the end, this is about me. I'm calling who I call. And you get to be a part of this. And so our joy in being part of this is this. We feel the freedom to share without the burden of the results. When Jesus is in charge, when Jesus knows and he's got this figured out, we don't have to sweat it. If we talk to somebody and they're not buying it, that's just Jesus going, it's not their time. Or maybe not at all. Maybe we're just planting seeds Maybe we get the joy and the beauty and the opportunity when someone, it finally clicks and they say, yes, I accept Jesus. I want him in my heart. I want to be indwelled with the spirit. I want this, baptize me, make it happen. But regardless of what the result is when we're talking to people, Jesus is in charge. So we don't worry about rejection. We don't want to be offensive so that people have bad views of who we are. We want to meet them where they are but we continue those relationships. When we ask people how they're doing and they respond, Ugh. or my favorite is I love walking down the street and as creepy as I might seem, I love trying to make eye contact with somebody as they're coming. Like, are they gonna look up? Are they gonna look up? Are they gonna look up? And you get, and they just walk by the whole time and it's just, I just wanted to say hi. Maybe you needed someone to say hi to you. Maybe that would have sparked something. Now, I'm sure there's moments I'm in my mind someone's doing that to me and I don't give them the same opportunity as well. But we get the joy and the opportunity to just share in this. It's so cool. And our last part is believers spend time with Jesus and get excited 
about other fish. Believers spend time with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus for two reasons. One, because we never forget that Jesus caught us. I kept joking, I was gonna spend the rest of the sermon doing this. As a visual reminder, quickly shot down by my wife. She had to deal with that level of humor. Um, Jesus caught us. And not only did he catch us, he used other people. How much fun is it to recall all the people that he's used in my life? I'm grateful to Rick Boone and Keith Harrison and Mike Boblett and Todd Chapman and my staff and my wife and my in-laws and everybody who has encouraged me from before I realized this is what was happening, that Jesus was starting to work on my heart, that the Spirit was starting to do its work, that I would come to faith, to this weekend alone, I got text messages from a few of you because you knew I was preaching. Thank you. If you're at home, thank you. That's encouraging. How cool is that that we get to do this? But even better than getting to recall what has happened is what gets to happen, and it's this. Jesus just wants us to hang with him. Now, consciously, I chose hang sit with him, come to him. Sometimes there's things that we put into that relationship. There's things that we, like, I'm not ready yet to talk to Jesus. You guys have all heard people say, I need to get healthy before I go to church. I need to get right with God before I ever show up at a church. I need to fix the problem before I go. I need to figure out how I'm better before I go to the therapist. No, these are all things to help you get there. And so, I'm concerned that we get, we get caught up in certain postures in front of Jesus, certain, certain ways we have to feel just right. We have to fix whatever's happening with us, whatever we feel like is broken. Maybe we're angry. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we screwed up for the 15th time the same way in a relationship with somebody and we can't figure out why we keep screwing up. And so we bring all these things to when we sit with Jesus. And I think there's two things in particular that we need to keep in mind. Because here's the simple idea. Jesus says to them, to the disciples, after all this fishing experience, four simple words. Come and have breakfast. John doesn't capture any agenda. John doesn't capture the timeshare or whatever it is that Jesus is going to do that he suckered them into whatever the breakfast was. He just says, come and have breakfast. Just hang with me. Just sit with me. I love you guys. And we just get to be together. We just get to hang together. It's so beautiful. And so getting ourselves to get to that place is realizing that Jesus wants more than just to fix our things. He does want to help fix our things, but we get so caught up in the craziness of every day and the busyness that sometimes it's all just, Jesus, help me here. Fix this, fix this, fix this. Help this thing fix. Help this friend who needs prayer. Help this And Jesus just becomes sort of the genie. And we don't see him for who he is because he's just the fixer. And we're just waiting to figure out, is he fixing the thing that we've asked? And probably the biggest thing in all of that is all the junk in our hearts that we just, God, fix me, fix me, fix me, fix me. And that's it. And we miss out on the fact that we are broken and we are imperfect and we are an absolute catastrophe compared to who God is. 
but Jesus still loves us. And he still wants us to just sit with him. And he still wants us to just enjoy him. He wants to fix us. He wants to help us grow in him. He wants to fix our ugly and our angry and our broken hearts and those things that just keep coming up that we are tired of having them go wrong. But more than anything, he wants us. And he wants us because when we just hang with him, when we just reflect on who he is and what he's done, he gets a chance to be our greatest joy. So I'm not saying don't come to Jesus, don't ask him for help, don't ask him to love you, don't ask him to fix things. But the value of just sitting with him and reflecting on who he is is an amazing thing. I actually want to do that together right now. I want us to take just 20 seconds in silence and just reflect on Jesus. So everybody close your eyes and whatever you brought with you today, maybe you're super excited about who Jesus is, and you are on fire, and it is this long streak of being on fire. Awesome. Keep enjoying that. Maybe you came and there's something that's distracting you. Maybe you came and you don't even know Jesus yet, and you're wondering who he is and how all this fits in. But let's just take 20 seconds or so in silence and just ask Jesus to open up our hearts. And when we open up our hearts to just see him, and allow him to let us see that he loves us. And if you hear things that are distracting you, you feel guilty, you feel shame, he wants you to hear that he loves you. And he wants you to sit with the fact that he loves you. When we feel Jesus deep in our hearts, we get that sense of his presence and what he's doing, that work in our lives. And we go to this space that they had in the text. They come to have breakfast and they got all kinds of questions swirling and things they want to know. How, how did you get the fish? How did this figure out? How did you do the net? How does this Jesus, what this resurrection thing looks like? How does all this work? And John captures, they have so many questions. He captured it with a simple one, who are you? But he also says they didn't even bother to ask because they knew it was the Lord. They were sitting with God. And when we get to sit with God, the more we get to hang with Jesus, the more we want others to hang with him, the more we get to feel how wonderful that is, the more it just pours out. We want those people we love. We want people we haven't even met yet to feel that exact thing. Heather Brown, are you in here? Heather Brown, come on up here. We were uh, talking as a staff this week, and, and, and uh, Todd has encouraged us to, um, oh yeah, that's right, I owe you a microphone. I owe you this microphone. Um, Todd has been encouraging us. How are we fishing? What are we doing? We've been doing this for, for a few months since we started doing Sharing the Joy back in September as a staff, and so he's consistently checking in with us. How's it going so we can encourage each other? 
And so Heather got a chance to share. But before she, before she says anything, I want to talk about my experience with Heather. So I've known you for about two years. I'm going to talk about the good experiences. Sorry, I, that look in her eye, she never knows with me. Um, I've known her for about two years, and I have only known you with some significant challenges in your life. If I didn't know about those things, I might not know the weight of the stuff that's going on in your life. Uh, you have such a desire to fill up your reservoir with Jesus, and it's such a wonderful thing to see. So thank you. Thank you for encouraging me in that. Uh, what is that picture of hanging with Jesus? What does that look like in your life? Thank you, too, by the way, for that, Brian. I appreciate that. It's the first um, time I've said something nice to her. <laughs> in two years. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, Brian and I are good friends. I just... I love going outside to a park. That's where I love to do it because I need to get away from the house. Otherwise, there's a million things to do. But I just go somewhere beautiful and I just sit and I just sit with Jesus. And sometimes I'm just sit thinking and what it has done. I mean, especially in these last couple of years, it really has like rooted me and grounded me in even deeper peace. Um, because all the feelings and all the thoughts and all the worries and all the whatever that you could just keep going with. It's like when I'm in those moments of just sitting, it's like the Lord just washes over me with his truth. He reminds me. By the way, if anybody's new, are you willing to share? Oh, I, a couple of years ago before I started here, my ex-husband decided to leave me and the kids. He just decided one day. It was a complete surprise and he left and he moved away. So that's what I started here. Two days later, I got to start at RCC, which is God has, I mean, I'm happy to share all kinds of details because God has been so gracious in the middle of that. But with all of that, there's a lot, obviously, that comes with that. And so spending time with Jesus has just grounded me in the fact that his hand is still on my life and on the kids. Um, the lies that maybe are the fears that maybe I'm tempted to believe or lean into, just being with him, it's like the truth just washes over me. He becomes louder than the enemy. Um, I'll do my Bible study during that time. I'll just read scripture or I'll just pray. And it's in those moments that I just feel like, okay, I don't have to feel that. I get to feel this because of who Jesus is. And it's, it is, it's life-changing. Life, it's been life-changing for me. I would like to say I was that consistent with the Lord prior, um, but hit or miss. But since that, I mean, if, if I miss a day, it's rare. I, I, and sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's an hour and a half, but I, I always try to just slow down. And, it, and it's palpable around you. I mean, even you. you have every excuse for most people to just ball up into, into the corner and just not want to even think about sharing. But you are so full of Jesus, you can't help but share. What has is, what is this yeah. overflow of Jesus been looking like yeah. recently? I think it's, it's the peace. Um, and as I think about even the culture right now and just what's going on in the culture, and I feel like it's such a lack of peace. People are just hurting and they're so angry and there's so many things, they, they're so lost. Um, but the peace that I've discovered in those moments to be able to walk out of that time and keep going with the day and keep going with what I'm doing, I just want everybody to feel that. I want everybody to experience that because that's the only thing that, that grounds us. And that peace leads to joy and it leads to all, all kinds of things. Um, and so, yes, it gets me excited because it, like, especially being in family ministry and raising two kids and having the potential to maybe be afraid of what's around them and coming at them, just being so grounded in the greatness of God, the peace that he gives and all of that, it's like, I don't have to be shaken. Like, he's got this. And so I want people to have that so that they're walking 
with stability as well. Um, because such things can just topple you over real quickly. So it gets me really excited yeah. to be able to share that. And you've gotten a couple of people you've been investing in, right? I have, yeah. So the 21 Days Joy, we were doing that as a staff and are still doing that. And I've been very encouraged because it's caused me to be very intentional. And so one of the things, too, that I loved about what you shared about we get to share without the burden of the result. One of the things that it encourages you to do is, okay, who are the people in your lives in all these areas, right? You have different days where you do that. And then there's one day where you're supposed to pray over, okay, who does the Lord bring to your mind? And when you're sitting with Jesus and letting him do that, he brings people to your mind for whatever reason. You may get to see the fruit of that. You may just be a seed in that, but you don't, that gives even more peace because I don't have to feel the burden of the results. So he brought people to my mind. I'm like, okay. And so it encouraged me to be very intentional. I would pray for them regularly. I'm a busy mom, you know, a single mom, and so that would, that's, that I was very intentional about who I was now spending my time with because the Lord put that on my heart. And I got the joy of having one of my ones, although I have a couple, but she one doesn't, of the ones. She doesn't follow rules for the, <laughs> to start. So when we said pick a one, she picked three. I have three. <laughs> I follow some rules that make sense. So one of my ones, um, I had the joy as she has come back to the Lord. And it's been so fun to be one of the people in that journey. And, and honestly, it's like, it's so interesting. Um, just reading the whole 21 day thing, it's like this stuff is really, it really works. It's not that I doubted it, but I just, I, I, we didn't always have conversations about, oh, you need to believe about God and this is why. It was just like, I would just share my journey. Yeah, this is what I'm doing and this is how God has given me strength. And, and then we would move on to another topic or whatever. And so it's just, it's been so fun. It's been so easy actually just to build a relationship with her share the things that are doing, watch her come to know the Lord. And now she's excited to share it, the joy, like exactly how the book says it's supposed to go. It goes, it's fascinating. And she'll ask me questions and, you know, the imitating and I don't know, it's just, it's just been a joy to be part of that and watching her come back to the Lord and love the Lord as well. Well, thank, thank you for what yes, you're doing with other thank people. You. Thank you for thank being you. an example in a lighthouse for, uh, for everybody around here, whether it's the families around here or the folks that you're investing in. It is so appreciated and wonderful to see. Thank you, Brian. Angie. One day, a man in a boat threw his line in the lake. Bait on the hook, sun in the sky, he laid back, pole in hand, rest and wait. Then just before napping, he felt a good tug, woke him up from his resting, gulped coffee from mug, rubbed his eyes before turning the handle of reel, saw the struggle in the lake as the fish took the deal. It knew it was caught, then it fought hard for life. The man was an expert, fished day and night. But then something happened, a rare sight to see, as the fisherman pulled in his dinner for free. He saw not just one fish, but two on the hook. Two fish had jumped on the line Second look, it was true. There they were, two, one in front, one by tail. But they both were reeled in, both caught without fail. So the moral of the story, when you're a true fisherman, whether you're out there to catch real fish or men, sometimes there's a rarity when you're looking for one, praying for them, then down, up from the sun. You may not be aware, not, not to your eye, that God has a plan 
a deeper why. Just under the water you've been praying for is a plan for salvation, a different door. Another may be attached. You must pray for them too. The mystery unseen, God knows what to do. And by prayer and love, in a life God afloat, you'll find those lost fish, not one, but two in the boat. We are so stinking lucky to be part of this that God has tapped each of us. He caught us first, and he's helping to catch others. He's catching others. He's letting us help to catch others. Let me get my theology correct. I just talked about it. Hey, let's, let's, let's pray over what, what God is doing in this community. Hey, gracious Heavenly Father, there are people all over that uh, are on our hearts. And sometimes we, uh, we might feel like it, it, it's hopeless. Sometimes we might be super excited. We're in the thick of it. But uh, reminding us to be with you, to sit with you, to fill our reservoir with you so that it leaks out and people see us as joyful and different because ultimately, no matter what else, it's about our relationship with you. Thank you for the work you're doing locally in our community. Help us to continue to unabashedly pursue others and to do it simply for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.